bed to pray, and you're listening to Iron City Rocks. Hey, you know, you love Pittsburgh. Who doesn't? This is Hamill on trial saying when I want the goings-on in Pittsburgh, I listen to exclusively Iron City Rocks. Hello and welcome to episode 89 of the Iron City Rocks podcast. I'm your host, Aaron. Tonight's show, we are going to speak with Ed Hamill of Hamill on Trial and Sarah Turk of Bird to Prey, both of whom will be performing at Club Cafe on the South Side on February 2nd. The show starts at 7 p.m., tickets are $8 at the door, and they'll have a great local opener, local comedian Ron Placone. I do want to let everyone know that this episode is not safe for work. So if you are listening at work in an open environment, this is a great time to switch to headphones. Or if you are listening to this in the car, maybe you have some small children with you. Again, great time to pause this episode and listen to it later on. That being said, let's talk about our artist that we have tonight. In this episode, the first interview that we're going to listen to is with Sarah Turk of Bird to Prey. Sarah is a solo artist who is originally from Perth, Australia, and has recently relocated to New York City. She is currently on tour, or embarking on her first U.S. tour with Hamill on Trial, and we are very fortunate to be able to have her coming through Pittsburgh. Um, she's a great young artist, and I can't wait till you guys hear her music. The first song that we're going to play is called Clouds, and then we'll get into the interview with Sarah. I'm looking straight down Big cities turn into small towns Turn the lights low Going much faster than I usually like to I'm afraid of clouds I'm afraid of coming on down Fifteen miles straight up in the air It's much too long to be sitting up there But I'll fly to you in my chair I look around nervous 
putting all my faith in God's hands Tonight I'm putting all of my faith into man Let's hope this time that he comes through And we get to finish what we intend to And I'll fly to you 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 Ladies and gentlemen, uh, thanks for listening to our show this evening. Tonight, we have Sarah Turk of Bird to Prey. How are you, Sarah? I'm good, thank you. How are you? Thank you for, thank you for having me on. <laughs> How sure thing. I'm glad you can make it on with us. Um, yeah. For those of our listeners who aren't familiar with you, could you give us a little bit of background about who you are and what it is that you do? Um, well, I'm a, a singer from originally from Fremantle in Western Australia. Um, I'm now living in New York. I've been here about a year, and I I play kind of folky, bluesy, Americana-type music, a bit of everything, and um, yeah, that's what I'm doing, so enjoying life in in the big city. That's going to be a bit of a a change from Australia to New York. Um, certainly, certainly where I came from, um, it, I, I came from a town called Fremantle, which is part of Perth, um, it's on the west side of Australia and is, um, probably, I think it's the most isolated, Perth is the most isolated capital city in the world. Um, it does have a great music scene, however, definitely, um, you know, it's not lacking in that kind of thing, but it's, um... You know, it's it's very sort of far away from everywhere and hard to get to other, you know, it's hard to get everywhere and expensive and, um, you know, it's definitely, there's a lot, you know, it's a lot busier and, and crazier over here, I would say. So uh, what spawned your move from Australia to New York? I, um, I just fell in love with New York a few years previous. I'd come to visit and... Um, I guess the isolation of Perth kind of got to me. Um, I felt like I wanted to be somewhere which was a bit central. Um, 
New York seemed like it was definitely a little bit more central. Um, I also, my family are from the States originally too. Um, my parents live in Australia now, but the rest of my family are here, so I thought I'd come over and sort of just see what this country was all about. And, yeah. So. Oh, well, that's great that you have family here. Now, is your family in New York City or are they um, other parts of the country? There, I've no family in New York, um, but I've, in Baltimore, I've got family, and in, also on the West Coast in California. Excellent, excellent. Um, yeah. So how has, how has the um, move to New York City helped out, or I guess changed, uh, your, the direction of your music career? Um, it's, I mean, it's been, you know, it's been a lot of ups and downs, you know, it's, it, it is a obviously an expensive city so you know I'm, I'm working a lot at the moment to, to sort of get by which is which is tough you know, but it's um you know I think I've just met a lot of people here and I've had some really good opportunities and and you know meeting somebody especially like Ed Hamill who's obviously you know quite an amazing sort of uh, musician himself and has been around the industry a long time and he's sort of I guess really um, taken me under his wing a little bit as a as a mentor, I guess, and uh, not not an official mentor, but he's really sort of helped me out a lot, um, you know, along the way with that. So it's you know it's just inspiring. It's an inspiring city. There's always something sort of going on here, and it's good to to be around that. I guess. Yeah, it really fuels the creative juices. Yeah, definitely, definitely. So um, you will be playing with Ed Hamill, uh, Hamill on Trial, on February 2nd here in Pittsburgh. Is that going to be your first time in Pittsburgh? Yes, it is. Now, I, are you touring with Hamill? Like, is this your first kind of official tour within the States? Have you done other dates? Like, how's that been going? Um, this will pretty much be my first sort of tour. Um, yeah, oh, I think we're doing... Uh, about maybe about eight or nine shows all together um, together for this tour. Um, we're going like, up to Chicago and and back, I guess. Um, and yeah, for all these all the shows we're doing, it'll be the first time for me in, in all of these towns. So very excited to be to, to be doing it. That's fantastic. The um, the venue that you guys are yeah. going to be playing in is called Club Cafe. Um, I've seen yeah. Hamill play there at least twice now. Um, probably one of my favorite places to see him because it's it's a smaller venue, but it's a real intimate venue with just great sound. Um, yeah, you know, it just and it, it's also in a neat part of our city. It's over on the south side, and it's just okay. the south side for us. Is just like a strip of bars and businesses, um, right? And just you know, great great side of history there for the city. Oh. Well, I definitely, you know, I love the smaller kind of intimate views and sounds like a, a very a cool place. So looking forward to playing there. So how did you come up with the name Bird to Prey? Like what's, what's, what's the meaning behind that or, you know, where, where'd that come about from? Um, I guess it was a, um, it was a line out of an old song of mine which I don't actually sing anymore. Well, I, sing, I do sing the song, but it's kind of changed a little bit. But it's, um, it's uh, the line was, 
he had me like a bird to prey. He attracted me with the colours he put on display. And I guess I don't really know <laughs> exactly why I chose that as a name. I, get, I was sort of looking looking for a bit of a stage name just to sort of, I guess, just uh, differentiate myself a little bit maybe. And um, it was, I guess, uh, for some reason that name just sort of jumped out of, of to me as, as a name to to have. So, which I don't know if it was a good idea or not. I get Sometimes I get a lot of con- confused looks when I tell people or people often make spelling mistakes or call, or call me the bird of prey and all that kind of thing. But it's, yeah, it just sort of stuck with me as a name, I guess. So. I think it's a very clever it's, um, name. Yeah, cool. I really, really like it. You know, cool. I get a lot of mixed reactions. I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing, too. At least people react to it, I guess. Well, exactly. It's very distinctive. (laughs) Yeah. All right. So your website is birdtoprey.com. Yeah. And out there, uh, fans can, I saw they can link to you on MySpace, link to you on CD Baby, and also download a couple of tracks and listen to some music as well, right? That's right. So I had an opportunity to listen to um, all three of the songs that were on your site. I think my favorite is Clouds. Okay. And I wanted to talk a little bit about like what your show is going to be like because um, when I was doing some you know research for the show, I saw a lot of pictures of you with acoustic guitars, but the three tracks I listened to very electric sounding. They had that nice, dirty, bluesy kind of open feel. So like, yeah. talk to us a little bit. What like what are we going to see when we see you at Club Cafe? Um, I'll be acoustic for this show. Um, the electric thing, I I wanted to do for my. Um, I have an album out, and it's um, started off as me being acoustic, and then I just decided I wanted to to do electric, and I do electric sometimes as well in my shows, and I. Um, even just solo at the moment, it's hard because I don't have any transport to, to lug stuff around. But um, yeah, I will be doing acoustic stuff. But eventually, I'd like to get back into the electric and and um, uh, you know, and even get a, a bit of a band happening again. Some of the uh, songs on the album are more band sort of song. Well, we're done with the drummer mostly, and then sort of overdubs. And I'd like to get a bit more of that happening too. But. The tracks I listened but, um, to had such a great raw feel to them, especially just that energy with with the um, that sound you had going on the electrics. Yeah, thanks. I was done. Uh, it was done at a friend of mine in Perth, his home studio. He was kind of learning, or had learned sound engineering, but was still kind of learning it too. And um, it was done in a in a room with a with an open window, and sometimes you can hear cars going past or crickets we had trouble with crickets that would decide to chirp outside the window all that kind of thing but it was you know it was a lot of fun and I think it it created a really nice sound because it was a real kind of natural sort of a wooden room you know and it had that just a a great natural kind of ambience to it I guess. No I agree I I love the sound it's very um, this may be totally off from what you're going for but I heard a lot of the cure like I, I heard that. Oh, really? Yeah, I heard that 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 restrained kind of. I'm holding back a lot. Just that restrained energy kind of sound that the Cure has, but with oh. like a bluesy, almost a muddy waters kind of sound in there as well. Okay, 
of that sort. I've never been compared to The Cure before. <laughs> and I do like, I wouldn't say I'm a huge, huge Cure fan, but I mean, I like them. So yeah, that's, that's cool. <laughs> yeah, definitely heard a lot of great stuff there. So what what do you yeah. favor gear-wise? Like, um, you know, what what... What are what are your setups like? What what are you playing right now? Um, I have a, t- a Taylor guitar acoustic, which I love. Um, I, back home, I was using uh, I had a Fender Tele, which I also really really loved, and a Fender Deluxe Amp too, which I I might sell. Actually, I bought it right before I came over, which was kind of silly because I can't really bring it over here, but um. But, um, so I, you know, I really love that kind of telly sort of, I guess a bit low, low fi but kind of clean sounding, yeah, um, guitar. Yeah. And I also had a, a, a Golden too, which, um, which was an amazing guitar. I haven't really seen too many of them, but it was sort of, it was half electric, half acoustic. Well, it wasn't really acoustic, but it had like a, a pickup, which I guess, made it sound acoustic and that was a really nice guitar too is that the one that has like the pizios in the bridge but then also has like like a like a humbucker yeah yeah i think so it's got like three different inputs and yeah i can't even i mean to be honest it's i really got good at using it at one point but then i stopped using it for a while and i kind of forgot everything so i'd have to relearn how to use it again by any chance did that happen to have like a midi input on it no, it was before the days of MIDI, okay. but I'm sure they have ones with MIDI now. I, and I was curious because it sounds very similar to um, a Godin that a friend of mine owns, where he's got the PCOs oh, okay. in the saddle like that. Oh, okay, yeah, I'm sure they've they've advanced now, and that's probably the new model that they've got. Yeah, yeah it's it's amazing where technology is going. Um, you were saying yeah. that you were a Tele fan. Did you see? Fender just released the 60th anniversary Telecasters. Really? Yeah. No, I haven't seen that. I'll have to they, check that out. They are some sweet, uh, sweet-looking guitars. Also, um, I'm a bass player myself, and so um, okay. I've been playing P basses all my life. They just uh, released yeah. the 60th anniversary Precision bass as well. Oh, wow. Nice. Don't tell me that. I want to buy one now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, tell me about it. Um, yeah. <laughs> Great toys, great toys. So, who would you say some yeah. of your biggest influences were um, growing up musically? Like, what what led you to where you are now? Um, musically, growing up, I I mean, I was kind of a child of the '90s, and I was very, I guess, I was. It was kind of grunge or nothing for me when I was a teenager, which is probably a bit sad, <laughs> <laughs> but um. Well, not sad. I mean, you know, it was good, but it, maybe it could have been a bit more diverse. But, you know, I actually really loved, I listened to a lot of, like, female sort of musicians. Like, I mean, I really loved Courtney Love um, at the time. I thought she was just amazing. And I listened to Pace Smith and um, PJ Harvey. And, and also, like, there's another band from Australia called Magic Pervert who who are just amazing, you know, this this woman called Adelita, who's just, you know, rock and roll. So I was really into that kind of music, and and um, it wasn't sort of until later that then I sort of started getting into sort of more like Bob Dylan, when I, when I, you know, I'd finally kind of discovered him, and I was just like blown away, and, and uh, you know, 
people like him. Now, and now, you know, more sort of, I guess, you know, kind of like, I really love like Dolly Parton and Emmy Lou Harris and Nico Case and people like that. You know, I would have never, ever paid you for a grunge fan listening listen to your music. To a, a who? Sorry. Uh, to to a grunge fan, like I would I would have never, oh, really? never, never, ever gotten that. Like Emmy Lou Harris, I definitely I can hear that. You know. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, yeah. I mean, I guess I've moved on a bit, but I mean, I still. It's funny. I actually listened to um to live through this the whole, the whole album the other day, and you know, for the first time in years, and yeah. it was just it was kind of crazy listening to it. I was like. You know, that was definitely by far when I was like, you know, 13, 14, like my favorite album ever. And, you know, sort of, you know, it's amazing how it can sort of bring back. But yeah, I love it. And I, you know, I think if you, I think I definitely vocal wise, maybe if, probably you can't tell so much by recordings, maybe live. I think there's probably a bit more of a Courtney Love influence. Maybe not quite as extreme as she is. <laughs> but. <laughs> But maybe it's there a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about your writing process. So you have one album out now, correct? Yeah. All right. Yeah. So like, what's what's your writing process? Are you going to sit down to write another record here? Like, what what's what? Um, how how do you go about that? Um, I you know I I write um you know I would say pretty slowly compared to other people who sort of write, you know, an album in like a month or something. But, um, you know, like on, on that, on, on my, on that I got out, like those songs range from like, you know, almost like a five-year period, some of them. Um, I, and that album was released about three years ago. And I think I've got enough songs now. I would like to do another album soon. Um you know, once again, it's kind of tough because it's, you know, it's hard when you don't own too many people and it's, you know, you're paying lots of rent, you want to, you know, you got to work and all that kind of thing. But it's, um, I would like to, I definitely want to do an, an album. I'm sort of hoping this year that's what I'd like to work on. So hopefully by the end of the year, fingers crossed, I'll have, have something else. Oh, that'll be fantastic. I'm definitely looking forward to a follow-up. Yeah, well, thank you. I hope that happens. <laughs> so how would you say that your live show differs from um, what we'd hear on one of your CDs? Um, I guess, I mean, the CD, I wanted it to be, I mean, obviously I'm solo live. You know, I was playing with a band back home, but um, I actually wanted the CD to be kind of not, too different to what I do live. I didn't want it to be like a completely different thing. Um, you know, it's hard to say. I got. I guess. I guess you know my live thing is always sort of developing. Like I used to really struggle playing live, and I still get quite get quite nervous. So it, it's something that's really developing a lot. And I think I've gotten to a point where I'm pretty comfortable live, and I'm I'm getting. Well, it, yeah, it's, it's hard to say. <laughs> you just have to come to the show and find out. <laughs> I'm hoping to get out that night. I really, really want to come see you guys. Yeah, well, that would be great. Yeah, well, you know, it's funny. The stage fright. I, I think 
every artist, I don't care what level of the game you are, I think every artist goes through stage fright. Yeah. And I think it's a good thing to have a little bit of it. You know, you got to really focus. And I've learned things just from myself that really helped me focus and a few little mind tricks, which I like to, to play on myself, which which really kind of, you know, sort of get me in the mood for getting up in front of people. But, you know, it's fun. And, you know, and the feeling afterwards, like no matter how nervous you are, you know, the feeling after playing is just, you know, amazing getting off. And, it's such a rush. Such a rush. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's fun. So I think, you know, I think it's going to be a good show. And I think it's going to be interesting too, like opening the show for Ed, because I think we're quite, you know, different in a lot of ways musically. Um, you know, he's pretty out there. So I'm sure the people who know him, I mean, I'm pretty different to what he does. But I think it'll, I think it'll complement. Uh, I think we'll complement each other well. So. I completely agree. Um, it, I mean, Ed, yeah. I've seen Ed play so many times now, and he's just—he's an absolute wild man, you know. And you—you <laughs> you never know what you're going to see from him. And then I was listening to your stuff yeah. earlier today, going, "Oh, this is going to be a great compliment. It's going to be a great way to start the show. It really is." Because I was listening to your music, yeah. and I'm like, "Oh, just like I said, so, some of the soulfulness and the guitar and that restraint. I'm like, man, this is going to be fun to see." Yeah, well, cool. Well, I don't. I just won't be talk, talking as much as Ed will be on stage. So <laughs> don't expect don't expect as much talking from me. <laughs> oh wow! All right, well, Sarah, I want to thank you very much for being on the show this evening. No problem. And I want to remind everybody uh, that you can see Sarah along with Hamill on trial at Club Cafe on February second here in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And Sarah, we can't wait till you get to town. Thank you. Thank you. We're about to enter the Time Machine Tour. Getty Lee, Alex Lifeson, Neil Peart, An Evening with Rush. April 6th, Huntington Center. Performing their classics, A Taste of the Future, and the legendary moving pictures live in its entirety. Reserve seats are on sale now at all Ticketmaster locations. The box office are charged by phone. Rush. I hope you enjoyed the interview with Sarah. Uh, this is really going to be a great opportunity to see an up-and-coming artist in a nice, small, intimate venue. Um, if you haven't seen a show at Club Cafe, Club Cafe is probably one of my favorite places to see artists like this, like solo acts um, around town, around Pittsburgh. Just wonderful, wonderful venue to see this sort of thing. I'm really excited to see Sarah and see how she's going to uh, perform live and you know what kind of new spin her music is going to take on live. I'm a big fan of her music. Um, after listening to the three songs that she has available on her site, birdtopray.com, um, I actually went out to iTunes and downloaded the entire album. And it is a great, great album. So I do recommend it for anybody who's looking for some new music out there. Our next interview is going to be with Ed Hamill of Hamill on Trial. So Hamill's one of my favorite artists. Um, he is just, he's such an amazing creative force to me. And just the music he creates, it just blows my mind. He's like Sam Kinison and Steve Jones. He's he's punk rock, but he's an acoustic guitar player. And you see a guy with an acoustic guitar, you start thinking you're going to have Bob Dylan or some sort of folksy thing going on. And that is just so not the case with, with, um, with Ed. Ed is just such a force on the guitar and just such, such an amazing artist. So during the course of this interview, um, Ed and I are going to talk about a song called the Ann Coulter Song. And... Um, I just wanted to make make it very, very clear um, <clears throat> that what Ed does 
is satire. And that's this one of the greatest things about his performance and just how he approaches his songwriting. He's satire. He's, he's one of the highest forms of comedy and entertainment I can think of in the form of the way he does his satire. I compare him to what Jonathan Swift did with A Modest Proposal and The um, the Great Potato Famine. I mean, it's just, he, he makes you think, and he takes things that people would try to ignore and just puts it right in your face so you can't ignore it. So, when we talk about the Ann Coulter song, I'm asking a lot about you know, how Ed comes up with his rhymes. Because I was really asking about his creative process. And Ed makes mention of, um, you know, what the song was really about. And I just wanted to make it clear that I totally get what it's about. And I hope that all of you do too. Because again, what Ed does really is satire. Um, And he does it in such a great creative way with the way he makes his rhymes. And he gets you to smile and he gets you to think and it's just a great time. It really is. Like you, you cannot have a bad time at a Hamble show. No way to do it. Um, one of the first times I saw him play in Pittsburgh, it was a horribly snowy night. There was maybe eight to ten of us in the club, and I can tell you from seeing Hamill play in front of a packed house as well, it's the same show. It's the same energy level. This is a guy who loves to do what he does and just comes out and gives you 110 percent every night, and it's just amazing. So. Before we get into the interview then, next up, I'm going to play for you a song called Sugar Free, because Sugar Free was my first introduction to Hamill Live, and it just kind of gives you a picture of the ferocity and where he's coming from uh, with his playing style and with his lyrics. After Sugar Free, we'll get into the interview. Boys and girls, babes and bubbas, won't you please welcome, straight out of Brooklyn, Hamill on trial! It's very nice to be here. Always a privilege to open up for Ani. And uh, I, I wish you guys would get in a better fucking mood. Really, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what I can do to cheer you up, but. I- There's nary a trace I'll candy coat it around on my face Give it to me Give it to me Sugar free Give it to me Sugar free Hey, hey, yeah Let those words fall from your lips 
context, man. I'm a player and a fan. I just want to get in the game. I got my research done. No painted clown. No gifted and happening lame. And there's many things I do and I won't feel the fool for the hell me get better at my trade. There's a reason why I look from George Foreman study I makes a younger man go afraid. I ain't no hack. I would die the clothes black. I'm Johnny Cash if he needs me. And don't ain't right. I'm scrimmage tonight. If a stomach goes to bother Jerry Lee. Sing a ring for Keith. Cops singing to Reeves. Have a loose the Hall of Fame. Respect ain't no crime. My ears are open all time and I just want to get in the game. Choir, the roof of a lion above me and how it goes. It was a queen tech man, the man and I met that day at Sun Studios. I looked Elvis in the eyes, said, Listen here, guy, I got something I think is important. When you open up a sing instead of copying Bing, maybe try Big Mama Fortin. Pet a cow on the back and I almost got sacked, checking out your Lee's cousin's tush. Thought they would fall when I got bold suppers or Phillips, any buttons I could push. In a southern drawl, they made my skin crawl. I said, Kid, what is your name? Well, smile on the wild, said, Hamel on trial, and I just want to get in the game. A vow, know this plant, and now I drink the brew of tirelessness. And here in my blood, generations flood only makes my fire restless. And hence, I rather sometimes deny my head gets the better of me. And hence, okay, though sometimes during the day I can't see the force of the trees. But I still get a charge and I still get a large when I hear something bold and new. And I respect all the work in the face of so many fucking jerks that takes for something new to get through. Some want the money, some want the honey, limousines, the benefits of fame. Nah, me, I'll keep learning, me, I'll keep burning. I just want to get in the game. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the show tonight. Uh, tonight we have Hamill on trial. How are you doing tonight, Hamill? Doing well, thanks. Welcome. Well, um, Hamill will be coming through Pittsburgh to Club Cafe on February 2nd. And Hamill, for our listeners who may not be familiar with your work, um, could you give us a little background on what you do? <laughs> Whoa. Uh, uh, it is um, pretty aggressive uh, acoustic based, but I mean, it's, boy, this is a tough one. Uh, there, there's some political satire. There is unquestionably some humor, but it's, it's pretty heavy. It's pretty aggressive. I guess it's a little punky, uh, unquestionably rocky. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, there's folk music. Uh, it, I, I can tell you what it isn't. It is, it isn't a sensitive singer songwriter stuff. It's not Americana. And I'm not saying that I don't like that stuff, but it's just that isn't that isn't what I do. And it's for stories. There's a lot of stories, and it's kind of irreverent uh, in terms of uh, you know both its political content, and it's kind of like if uh, Henry Rollins and Lenny Bruce or Bill Hicks and Bob Dylan and Lenny from Motorhead all met, uh, they'd probably enjoy what I do. I completely agree with that. A uh, buddy of mine and I were talking about you the other day, trying to describe you to, to some friends of ours at work. 
And yeah, I was, it's a tough. It's tough to describe. I know. I, I I should probably, having done it as long as I have, I should have probably a, a an easy description for you. Uh, and yet, it it is tough. And I know that were you to say to me, "Yeah, come on, we got to go see this ball guy who screams and yells and tells dirty jokes," I don't know if I'd be the first one in line either. But uh, yet. I like to see people have a good time. It's pretty challenging, but it's a lot of fun. People have a good time. Uh, the first thing I tell people is you're not for the faint of heart. No, no, <laughs> but, I, I, but, <laughs> but I'm for the good of heart. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> but um, we were saying that you're kind of like Sam Kittison meets uh, Steve Jones, of the Sex Pistols. That's cool. You know, it's funny that you say Kittison. I didn't. I hadn't. I. I don't know that much about Sam Kittison, but I was watching something the other day. Uh, about him, and I, he was a huge influence on Bill Hicks, who's, who's a big, I love Bill Hicks. Yeah. And, um, yeah, absolutely. And I, and I definitely dug the pistols, although probably Steve Jones was a huge influence on Mick Jones from The Clash, and, uh, and I'm a big Mick Jones fan. So, yeah, yeah you're right. I mean, Kinnison and Steve Jones would be similar to Bill Hicks and Mick Jones, and those are two that immediately come to mind for me, yeah. So I remember when um, my buddy turned me on to you back in 2004. He had gone to see yep. Ani DeFranco play in uh, Tennessee. We were both living in Nashville at the time, and I was jealous. I had to work that night. He was able to get off and go, and he comes back. And I remember that show. I know the show you're talking. I, I remember the Nashville show. Uh, yeah. He's he's like wild eyes. Like you've got to you've got to listen to this guy. I'm like who? He's like Hamilton Trout. You you've got to hear this. He's like he just comes out and it's just like like this wall of sound. I'm like, well, how many guys is he? he goes one. I'm like, okay. And at the time, your, your album that would have been out would have been Tough Love. So yeah. he, um, he let yeah. me listen to Tough Love. And I'm thinking, I'm like, okay. It was, some, you know, it was different. I never heard anything quite like it, especially lyrically. So he drives me out to see you. And I want to say we were like at the Tin Angel or something like that in another Nashville show. And um, one of the things that, that I, I found just really profound at that show is you're in a music industry town you were opening up for another band that was having their CD release party and had music industry acts in the house. And one of the jokes you told to open the show was, um, how do you stop the threat of AIDS? And you said to get Mercury Records to distribute it. <laughs> and, yeah. yeah, sounds like me. And I watch it, I'm like, oh my goodness, this guy's amazing. And so... You come I remember. Stage. I remember that night too. So I remember. <laughs> right. I remember that band. I remember. I know exactly. Who you're, I remember that. Right. That weird little venue. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And it just. I'm like watching. Going. Wow. This guy's amazing. So you know, my wife and I were living a part of the time. Uh, we weren't married yet, and I was living down in Nashville. She's up in Pennsylvania. And I'm calling her. I'm like, sweetheart, you gotta see this guy. So you know, fast forward years later, I finally took her to one of your shows. And I'll tell you that story later. Um, she really, she really enjoys you as well. Um, but just, yeah, like you, your live show is such a presence. I can't get over how big your sound is. What, what were you, what were you doing in Nashville? Were you, were you there for music related stuff? No, no. My buddy and I work for a communications company. So we were down there, um, opening a new venue for us. Got it. We and there. what, and yeah. what, in, in what was your, I mean, you know, it's funny with me in Nashville because I, I'm only... I hear, I have friends like Jason from Jason and the Scorchers is a friend of mine, and he's a wonderful guy, you know, and I hear that there is a, and my friend Whammo from the Asylum Street Spankers used to do very, very well there, 
but my, but I never could really get a ground in Nashville, and I never really understood the town. You know, I mean, I I mean, obviously, I understand the the superficial, the the uh, you know the, the the top part where it's a big money town for country music, but you know, I I hear that there is a strong independent underground. Uh, but I, boy, I could not find it. Love your money. Were, were you? Did you find it? No, no. I, and it's funny, okay. funny you say that because, like, I heard of the clubs, I heard the stuff, could never find the bands. Um, one of my favorite bands came out of Murfreesboro, which is where I was living, called the Tony Danza Tap Dance Extravaganza. They're like crazy okay. extreme metal. They were starting the same time I was down there. Never heard of them. Couldn't find them. Yeah. You know? Yeah. But I mean, you know, did, did they tour? Did they? I mean, did they base out of there, but just toured? Uh, yeah, actually, I think now they're based out of like Florida or Arizona or some other place. Like, they've they've rerouted from there, um, but that's that's yeah. where it all started. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, one thing I learned because because you're you're from New York, right? You're from from the North area, right? Yeah, but I'm you know from upstate. I mean, currently I live a very I, I'm about twenty miles from Manhattan, but uh, I excuse me, I grew up upstate, which is uh, you know definitely a different beast. I mean, it's it's. Uh, it's far, you know, blue collar and farm. I gotcha. You know, so it's not, it's not particularly urban, but, but oh. I've been, I've lived here for 10 years. See, and that's, that's kind of like how I grew up. Like I grew up in Western Pennsylvania, a lot of farm country, grew up on what was, you know, used to be you a know, very similar, farm. Right? I, I would yeah. say upstate New York is similar to that, Tori. A lot of my sort of aggressive style, I used to make a joke about, you know, in the seventies, you could like pre- Punk rock. I mean, they, you know, they, well, where I grew up, they fucking hated punk rock. I mean, they, it took them, you know, it took them 20 years to sort of get it. But, you know, you could do like, you know, Led Zeppelin one and two, note for note, and they wouldn't turn around at the bar to look, you know. <laughs> you really, you really, you know, so for better or worse, it really sort of cultivated or defined my style, you know, like you got to be noticed, you know, and I, and I, it, for for years, I sort of resisted it. That I, you know, man, I I hate that. But now, in retrospect, I think you know, probably was not unlike Detroit, the city of Detroit. I think Detroit is very very similar. The, the reason those bands like, you know, uh, uh, the Stooges and the MC5, and and right up to, you know, even now with the White Stripes and Eminem, they, you, you got to push it in their face because they're just not going to turn around from the fucking bar to look at you, you know? So I, I wonder if some of that, you know, Western Pennsylvania, Ohio, upstate New York, I, I know there is a sensibility there, but maybe it's not such a bad thing in terms of cultivating your art, you know? I mean, you, you know, that's where I think some of the reasons that L.A., for better or worse, you know, had all that sort of singer-songwriter, you know, uh kind of easygoing Eagles stuff. I mean, probably that was the, you know, the L.A. punk rock thing was against that, you know, like, you guys are just too mellow, you know? Yeah. So what age did you decide you wanted to play guitar? Like, what what uh, started that? What started me wanting to play the guitar? Yeah. Uh, the Beatles on Ed Sullivan. I saw, I saw that. I mean, I've been, I've been around that long. So, yeah, I, I was a kid. I mean, I was a child. It was probably... Well, I got a boy that's eight now. Yeah. I was probably his age when I saw that. Wow. And it, yeah, and it was, you know, I mean, it, my father, speaking of blue collar, he worked at Carrier. And uh, he's a brilliant, he's a brilliant man, but I, I, I think he was a pretty unhappy man with his 
lot in life, and I think that he uh, probably, you know, and I would see him, and I, you know, you saw the Beatles. There was a lot of joy, man. They were, you know, they were kind of rocking. They were making money. They, girls were screaming, you know, but it was the sound, you know. I never really got into it. It's funny, people talking about, oh, I got into it for the girls. I never did get into it for guys. I really dug the sound. There was something about that, the joy of the sound that I was looking for. So that's that's why I started, I think. Yeah, I, I completely agree with that sound. That the Beatles were very, very distinctive, you know, and it's almost like well, they the had beginning, that it, particularly at the beginning, when they were just like a little rock band from the Hamburg clubs, you know, when yeah. they really had cut their teeth on, you know, amphetamines and alcohol. They, they, it was a pretty rocking little combo, you know. Yeah, it really was. So the Beatles is where it started for you. Who were, who would you say were some of your other influences over the years? We kind of touched on like you know Bill Hicks, some of the other guys. Who who else kind of helped shape you? Well, there was definitely. I mean, you know, with that Beatles thing, there was a bunch of. I, I think initially, I thought I was going to be. I, I never expected to be the singer and the lead guy in the band. I was kind of hoping to be the guitar player behind a front man. And so I, you know, the, the, I, like I was a Hendrix fan and I was a Jeff Beck fan. I mean, as a child, you know, like still in high school. And then it, I couldn't find a, like a front guy, you know? And so I started like dabbling in like biker bars, really. They're putting together a little trio and, and just doing like, you know, bar band music like uh, Aerosmith and ZZ Top and Stones and Kiss and that kind of stuff. And then, um, then, then you know, then Punk Rock hit. And it, it was a bu- brutally apparent. Like, I didn't... The Sex Pistols, I sort of dug the spectacle. I could tell, because I was a Stooges fan, I could tell, like, where Lydon was coming from. But it was actually the Clash's first record that... that just kick my ass in terms of, you know, the lyrical content. And I thought that the story had a lot of humanity. I mean, and so that, so then I, I sort of became full grown, you know, I wasn't like, you know, total punk rock, but I, but there was a lot of that. And even that pub rock thing from England. So from then on, and then into the eighties, there was a band called the replacements. And I always, and as a child, I always really dug, um, Comedy. We used to, you know, when we would put on records like Hendrix or, or you know, the shit we were into back then, we would listen to Richard Pryor too, you know, and um, I, 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 you know, I always thought that Richard Pryor was as bold as uh, any of the, you know, punk rock that I was like listening to, you know, and then of course Bill Hicks was a big one for me, you know. Wow. Yeah. Man, so I got a question about your gear because I remember, you know, like I said, the first time I, I, I come to see you play, you come out, you got this little Gibson acoustic, and after um, doing some extensive research, I believe I've determined that it is a Gibson L double zero. Yeah, and from 1937, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. All right. So, how in the world do you get your wall of sound punk rock? Ramones, almost like you know, a wall of Marshall stack sound. I have that little guitar. Um. Well, there's a bunch. I mean, there's a bunch of different things. But what? 
a lot of it, you know, like, I, I mean, if, if on a tactical level, there's a bunch of things that I do, one of which, and this, this was all very organic. Like, I, I was not, I'm not really a tech guy, by any stretch of imagination, but there, I was writing these songs, and it became apparent to me that if I tuned down a whole step, as an example, it was easier for me to sing these songs initially. And since I wasn't working with a bass player, and I didn't have to worry about him thinking his strings were too flappy, I tuned down a whole step. Okay. And then, you know, I sort of missed the power, because what had happened was I played in bands for years, but it became brutally apparent to me that financially and spiritually, um, it it was just hard to lug a band around. You know, getting together for rehearsal, it was all I wanted to do. And I really wanted to um, make music my life. And, and, you know, to be dependent on other people... Uh, for rehearsal or, or traveling, it, it became you know I don't know how they do it now. I I I, I still am on the road quite a bit, and I do all kinds of I do some of the bigger shows if I'm opening for someone, or sometimes in different regions myself. But sometimes I'm just doing small club dates, and I'm and I'm sandwiched between you know young like I guess for lack of a better term indie rock bands. I don't know how they they do. I mean they 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 for three four hundred dollars there's five of them in a van they must do it like some people ski or golf you know you pay x amount of dollars because you love doing it i re- i respect that you know but i wanted to make it my life and i wanted to make a living doing it so i pared it down to one guy and i missed probably the drums and the bass and so consequently i started jacking up you know so i would tune down a whole step, and then I would sometimes do drop D, for those of you that know the guitar, so that's another whole step on the low E string, and therefore it got a lot of bass. That little guitar, despite the fact it's 1937, I think it pumps out a boatload in mid-range, so I sort of compensated for the bass by, um, I put a a really good preamp, uh, this guy L.R. Baggs out of uh, California made a great preamp, and I put that in the guitar, and then I started sort of wying out there. And it's what I again, you know, I'm not really a tech guy. It's very easy. I can hop on stage and do this and, and I put it to an amp and that would kind of give me my high end. And then the DI would give me my low end and very similar to a, you know, stereo system, just a tweeter woofer kind of vibe. And then I would walk out. I mean, it would, would really where the hardest part of it was if you don't travel with the sound guy, which I don't, I have a road manager, but he doesn't do sound. Yeah. So, so consequently, in every club that I go into, I mean, I played enough now where they kind of know, but I step out into it and say, okay, let's do it. And it takes just a minute, and, and but I, but they're so unused to that kind of volume from an acoustic guitar that I, I'm, all, I'm constantly going, no, you know, you want to get this DI down in the kick drum range, keep, you know, okay, turn it up, turn it up, like, real. I go, yep, turn it up, turn it up, turn it up, leave it there. Okay, now we're going to bring in the amp. Turn it up, turn it up, turn it up. Leave it there, you know, and yeah. uh, and and then they get it, you know. And once they hear it, and they're usually oddly enough proud that they of it. But they, you know, initially, if I left it up to them, uh, I, 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 and that's why I kept bringing an amp on stage and aiming it at my ear because I couldn't rely on them to turn it up the way I wanted it to hear it, you know. Yeah. So I. I started setting up a little, almost like a little PA on stage myself, so I could hear the power. I need the power, you know, I needed the little slap on the back to get rocking, you know. Wow, yeah, and your sound, like I said, it's, it's I just, I just can't believe it. Like, I, I've seen your setup, the one little amp, the guitar, and I can't get that sound with, with half the fuzz pedals and the stuff that I have. 
I just it really, really impressed me with that sound. Well, you know, a lot of it, I mean, a lot of it, too, is in the the hands, as odd as that is. You know, it, it, people say, oh, it's that guitar. No, it's that pickup. But now I could probably make your guitar, you know, sound like that. I mean, there's a different droney things, and I use a lot of the meat under my thumb and, and stuff. I mean, I, I just sort of do it. It's second nature. It's not anything I think about these days, but I've been doing it so long that I can, in fact, do it like that. So I could make your guitar. I could make it work like that, you know? Well, see, in talking about your hands, uh, your, your technique never ceases to amaze me. I'll see you do something where you're doing some real gentle, kind of intricate finger-picking, and then you whip out something like 7Cs where your hand is blurry like in that tool video. Yeah, uh, it just yeah. amazing, amazing with with, with the way you hear that sound. Thanks. Hey, well, so I see the notice now. A lot of people do. Uh, you know, I I was talking to somebody today, a friend of mine, and he's a performer. You know, and and but he does a lot of other things too. You know, and I and and he, you know, it was like he's got a gig coming up, and it was kind of like because I'm kind of nervous about this. I'm like, man, you know, like. Like, have fun, you know, like, particularly him, he's got a wife, he's got a couple of kids, he's got a job, you know, I'm like, dude, you know, you, like, you know, how often do you get to go and do this, you know, like, don't make this a, a, a big pain in your ass, <laughs> you know, embrace this, like, this is going to be fun, you know, like, uh, you know, and, and, and I said, you know, here's the bottom line, forget them out there, forget the people out there, you, you know, what if you walked in the room and you never saw the guy on stage before, would you blow your own mind? You know, would, would you knock yourself out? You know, that's the, that's the test, really. It's not, you know, screw the people in the front row that, that you know, they want to hear, I don't know what they want to hear, but the bottom line is, you know, at the end of the day, you've got to maintain your integrity. You've got to knock yourself out. That's when you're going to have a good time. I mean, you, Otherwise, you could, you know, I could probably play Jimmy Buffett covers and everyone would go, hey, you know, or you'd find an audience somewhere, but I wouldn't want it, you know. And so, and I said, that would be your test. You know, you go in the audience and you listen to yourself and you blow your own mind and then, you know, if hopefully they'll follow. But if they don't, you wouldn't want it anyway. See, and it's funny that you mentioned that about, you know, having fun and the energy level. Because I was thinking about, you know, this interview today uh, when I was at work. And one of the things that has always set you apart for me is your energy level. Like, I've seen Kiss play, one of my all-time favorite bands. I remember seeing them on the second makeup tour back in, I think it was like 96, the Psycho Circus who, who, was the, who was the band? Kiss. Who was the band? Kiss. Kiss? Yeah, huge yeah, Kiss yeah, fan. Yeah. So I see them play yeah, in 96, yeah. and I could just tell they're tired. You know, they just don't have the same energy level. Was that Ace, or was, it, was Ace in the band? Yes, I was still with Ace at the time. Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah. so the energy's down, and I'm thinking, I'm like, ah, I wish I would have just seen the first tour and, and called it. Every time I've seen you, and I've seen you uh, since 2004 up through now, your energy level never changes. I, I swear you get more of it. Yeah, well, I'm lucky. I, I, I really still, I really, really love to play. I, I don't know. When I was involved in a very serious car, I mean, I don't know, I, you know, I don't know if this is, this is pure conjecture on my part, but I was involved in a near fatal car accident in 2001 or two or three, I don't know, I can't remember. But anyway, I, you know, almost died. So maybe, maybe to some extent, you know, uh, I, I, every gig, I think, wow, this is great. Uh, I just got new management and agent. I love them. I mean, uh, 
they're getting me in, you know, better places. I don't know. That makes me feel good. I, I don't know. But I, I really, I don't take it for granted. You know, I don't, I don't like, I've worked enough crappy fucking jobs, you know, where I, and the, and the only reason I worked them was because, you know, I had to make money between gigs or something, but I were, you know, and I, and I believe me, I don't, and I think anybody that works, it's great, you know. I mean, I, you got to have your dignity. You got to work. It, it's you find the play, but I, but I never really, you know, wanted to work. So all I wanted to do was play. And so I, I really, when I get up there, I'm never. I'm always sort of, you know, uh, observing of the fact or grateful that I'm able to do it. You know, and and quite frankly, in light of the fact that how different it is from everybody else, I. You know, I'm sort of, you know, I think it's kind of cool that anybody, like, gets it. You know, I mean, you know, and I'm not, and I'm not being a wise guy when I say that, but I mean, it just it's just like, you know, if there's three or hundred people in the room, they're all sort of, like, singing along to the song. I, 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 you got to think you're a pretty lucky son of a bitch. I, I used to say to my wife, you know, because I, if I would get pissed off at a club owner or something, I'd say, hey, I'm going to go tell him to fuck himself, you know, and she'd say, well, you're pretty lucky, you know, that you can do that. I can't do that in my job, you know, I can't go to my boss, tell him to go fuck himself, and at the end of my day, I, I don't know, do you have FCC regulations? I just, oh, no, I no, we're good, we're good. Okay, okay, yeah. And, you know, at the end of my day, people don't raise up and, and applaud me, <laughs> you know, but at the end of my day at work, you know, I... I I go there, I get to say what I want to say, which is pretty outrageous. Uh, people rise up and applaud me, and I get paid in cash. I mean, it's, <laughs> it's a pretty good gig, you know? I mean, and, and do I wish it was bigger? Do I wish I was playing to, to rooms 2,000 people? Yeah, but I mean, still, to this day, I think, you know, I do one of the edgiest things out there, and I get to do it still. You I know? completely pretty, agree. You, you are definitely, you're definitely pushing the envelope. And, um, I don't take it for you know. I don't take it for granted. I feel that I'm pretty lucky, but I, I hope with the, the thing that I don't like, and I don't care about in, what any kind of music anybody plays. I really don't. But I, I can sense the difference between, you know, sometimes I see somebody up there and they're obviously playing to, like, get a check. They think maybe their song's going to be licensed for a movie or they think they're going to get to have a YouTube hit. But I don't sense that they're getting great joy out of the music they're playing. It's more of a vehicle for them to build their bank account or, you know, meet a hot chick or something. And that's when I, that's the only time I ever think, I fucking hate this, you know. But it, and it doesn't have anything to do with any kind of music, actually. It doesn't, it doesn't have anything to do with any genre. Like, I can always sense... Particularly with particularly young kids, you know, like I don't really know anything about new metal. But when I see young kids playing new metal, there's obviously no money in it. You know, yeah. they're doing it because they love it, and there's something about that that I find really cool. You know, good. It's it's right. It's it's somehow the universe is right. You know. I completely agree. So, um, what can you tell us about your new show? This is your brain on rock and roll. Oh. Uh, uh, well, uh, let me preface this before I get into this by saying that it's funny. <laughs> it's funny. It's not, it's not going to be what it's going to sound like, but, uh, I, I, my 20 year marriage went down two years ago. 
and it took me a while to sort of recover from that. I, I wrote a song and, and did a post a video for it every day for a year. And, uh, you know, it was very difficult for me. I didn't expect it. Uh, so there was unquestionably a great deal of uh, uh, heartbreak and weirdness. But uh, I, I've sort of been developing a show based around it. But, you know, it, 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 once again, it, it's funny. It's up. It, it's up. It ultimately, you leave with feelings of uh, inspired hope and uh, humor. And it's not going to be melancholy or morbid. Well, I have a couple other questions here, and then we'll kind of wrap up the evening. And it kind of ties sure. into your shows. Because I remember uh, the first time I saw you do, um, well, the Ann Coulter song. Yep. And the line, I made sure I wrote it down here, um, was, um, well, heck, I don't know if I want to get into that just yet. But you do the line about some douches will never fail you uh, unless they come up against Ann's genitalia. And yeah. the line hit me already, but then you stopped dead, went over it again with the audience, and you're like, I'm pretty proud of that line. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, that was yeah. not a first yeah. draft. How, how do you do that? Because I've, I've noticed a lot of times you can be flying along like 100 miles an hour in a song, and you will stop on a dime, talk with the audience, and then boom, right into it. Like, how, how did that come about in your shows? Uh, that was, you know, I, well, speak, I mean, that was definitely influenced I guess by three things. One, I always got a kick out of I, I always felt that Richard Pryor was stepping outside of the you know, that he would speak, I guess parenthetically, that there's stuff that was scripted, but then uh wherever the evening took him, he would speak parenthetically. And the second thing is I I remember seeing the replacements. I saw the replacements in eighty five in Boston and they would stop and start a lot their songs just to fuck around. And I, and I remember, and it was, it was jarring, you know, it would definitely draw people's attention. You know, why are they stopping? Why are they stopping? And they could say or do things in the, in those little moments and people would absolutely, they'd have a hundred percent of their attention. And I, and I think that was it. And then also, I mean, you do, you know, that, that is the one thing about being a solo act, uh, as opposed to having a band is, you have that ability to stop and start at will uh, without uh, pissing off the bass player or the drummer, you know. <laughs> yeah. What are you doing? You know, why are you doing this, you know? So, I mean, that is the, you know, it draws people's attention to it, uh, you know, to some extent. You can make, you know, you can make a point, uh, you know, and I, I think the point in that particular tune, in light of, uh, what we're currently experiencing in, in with the shooting in Arizona is, you know, and, and I, I think that this could be sort of aimed at Sarah Palin, possibly. It's that if you're not part of the solution, you're part of the problem. I think that's what you know. You you can look at that song about Ann Coulter and say, oh, he's he's being coarse or boorish or you know. But no, what, I, what I'm saying is, you know, stop, stop acting like kids in the schoolyard because there's people that are losing their homes, they're unemployed. If we don't work together, uh, bipartisanly, uh, the country's going to go down the toilet. I completely agree with that. Completely agree with that. Um, so some of your other rhymes, like, 
I'd love to know a little more about your songwriting process. One of my one of my favorite songs of yours uh, is the song "When You're Young." One of the lines that just cracks me up, um, Hamill, is in in your song "When You're Young." It's when you say, uh, "Lord God on high, have you got my back?" Because in my fevered mind, he turned water into wine. But can he just perform the miracle of the crack? How in the world do you come up with those kind of lines? Uh, in that particular one, I was that I'm embarrassed to tell you, but it's it stems from a true story. And uh, let me preface this by saying that I was I've been sober for 20 years, so but I was smoking crack, and in you know in my idiotic fevered state, I was looking around the carpet for things to put in my pipe definitely weren't crack, and I at one point looked up at the heavens like, hey, could you throw me a bone here? And in retrospect, I realized how idiotic that was, so, you know, I'm embarrassed to tell you, but it actually stems from a true story. (laughs) (laughs) But, but, you know, 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 on one hand, you say, oh my goodness, I can't believe I did that, but on the other hand, you've come to grips with it, you admit it, and you talk about it freely. You know, and, and yeah. that to me just shows character right there. Because I mean, that's that's a hysterical story. Like I, I, you know, being a musician myself, um, to quote one of your lines, um, you know, I, I also knew a lot of musicians and I knew a lot of criminals. You know, and so yeah. I had a lot of friends. Well, doing that, my new my new line in that regards is I, I hang around a lot of criminals and whores and uh, you know, <laughs> not not unlike Jesus. <laughs> That's a great way to put it. That's a great way to put it. But, you know, so like like in your song, um, oh, hang on, um, When Bobby Comes to Town. Like, yeah. I love that song. And I think one of the reasons is because, you know, myself, um, I hate to admit it, but I've been the Bobby character. But so many of my friends have been Bobby. And I think a lot of people can identify with it because everybody knows a Bobby, you know? Yeah, well, that you know, that it's funny. Uh, one of the, I remember when I first moved from a upstate New York, which was Syracuse specifically, and I um, in, and I started to write like Blood of the Wolf, which is about a friend of mine who robbed a Kentucky Fried Chicken with a fork, and I had other friends from there that were like, who wants to hear this? But my, my suspicions were, not unlike Jack Kerouac, that you write about your friends, and, and everybody's got uh, these people in their lives, you know? It, 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 as reality shows currently prove. Yeah. Yeah, and again, those sort of things come come true with songs like, um, or come through it, rather, with songs like Dear Pete from the uh, Tough Love record. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah right. it's a real guy. Pete, Pete's actually Bobby. That, that, that story about Bobby throwing up in the uh, restaurant and then smacking the waiter is, he's also, he really is Pete. <laughs> he really is. <laughs> That is my friend. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So um, you you play through. You seem to play Stroudsburg a lot. The Sarah Street Girl. Yeah. So I've actually driven across my state of Pennsylvania twice just to see you play there. Oh my gosh! Okay. Uh, well, and uh, one of the times, and my wife um, wanted me to, to bring this up when we were talking tonight, because um, we were talking when when her and I had gone to see you. It was her first time seeing you. And keep in mind, she's been raised Catholic all her life. And so I'm like, I'm kind of apprehensive because I've definitely had a different upbringing than her. So I'm like, you know, I think she's going to enjoy this. I played some of the records for her. She seemed to get it. And um, we go there. You took a break. You come back and you start talking about the smoker's tent. 
and uh, we'll see if you remember where this is going, but you started suggesting, well, maybe he'll have tents for other vices. And uh, so, so... There was an anal sex, there was an anal sex lounge. Yes, there? yes, there was the anal sex tent, but it, it, was, the, um, it was the nun tent that, that really made me laugh hard. Um, yeah, I forgot about that. Right? <laughs> And and so like we're we're just we're cracking up with that and you started um you started kind of like just improvising a little song about all the different tents and I'm laughing and I drop my glass and it breaks and then you just totally like took that sound and and did a, did a whole nother improv I'm like oh gravity's very heavy in the smoker's tent and just we were just dying and it's just like your improv ability there's always just and there's always there's always a gentleman at that that, that show. It's a weird venue. That's the weirdest venue that I play. But in, in that, I mean, I love the, the guy that owns the place, Dave. He's wonderful. And but it's you know, it's it's the only sports bar that I do. But he loves music, so I mean, it's he gives the musicians a lot of respect. But I can try out, you know, because it's the long sets that you know people are sort of milling in and out of of consciousness. There, you can try out a lot of material there. You know, I, I've definitely done more experimentation on that stage than, you know, any of the more the concert type things because the concert, you know, you have to be infinitely more focused. There you can dick around, but often those experiments really reap you new stuff, you know? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, Hamill, I can tell you, I'm really excited for you to come back to Pittsburgh. I've seen you play at Club Cafe a couple times now. Um, great venue, great venue to, to, to see you play. And um, thank you very much for doing the show for us tonight. I don't want to be around When Bobby comes down You know how that can be Yeah, you know better than me I don't want to be here when Bobby gets clear and he gives you that weird eye I think I better say goodbye Yeah, the party always starts out with a cool Bobby's gotta go and find himself a fool It's fun to hang here when he's high You couldn't find a nicer guy He would give you his own shirt He starts to crash and he get hurt it was me, it was Bobby, it was little Chooch and Tim. Chooch is alright, you can always count on him. And Bobby can be cool if he's hanging out here. If he gets too high and goes out, that's when things get weird. So we're going to the title house to get something to eat. The food's pretty good at 3 a.m., but this time it was beat. And we're sitting at the booth, and to tell you the truth, Bobby's throwing shit around, he's acting real uncouth. And I think it's only moments till the manager calls the cops. When Bobby gets all quiet down into his eggs, he drops. He passes out the table, he wakes up and heaves And there's vomit all over the counter and he pays the check and leaves And he's almost to the corner when out comes the waiter Bobby says, get the fuck off me man, I wasn't sick until I ate here Bobby smacks the waiter, blood all down his nose Chooch says, hang with Bobby man, that's just the way it goes Well, Bobby feels bad from what I can guess Cause the next day he sends him out to the towel house, UPS He lights a big fat one, he stretches his legs He says, aw man, I gotta learn not to put that chili on my eggs yeah, the party always starts out really cool Bobby's gotta go and find himself a fool But I guess you gotta stay Cause Bobby likes his girls that way And I hope you'll be alright And I'll be back tomorrow night 
I don't want to be around When Bobby comes down I don't want to be around called When Bobby Comes Down. And again, another one of my favorite Hamble tunes. Um, just really, really kind of sums up his sense of humor and where he's going with a lot of these things. All right, well, I know it's been a long show, so thank you all for hanging in with us. Um, I had a blast putting the show together. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. Remember, February 2nd, 7 p.m., Club Cafe on the South Side. Eight bucks at the door to get in. You're going to get three great acts. Ron Placone, local comedian. Uh, you'll have Bird to Prey and Hamill on Trial. Trust me, you will never, ever be this entertained for $8 again in your life. Um, it's just going to be an absolutely great show. Again, thanks for listening. As always, you can get more information at ironcityrocks.com. Uh, watch our blog for different uh, posts, news, record reviews, different things going on around the city. And... Um, have a great time. Thanks. Bye. Hey, this is Hamill on trial. Hamill on trial. Ed Hamill listening, participating, enjoying Iron City Rocks. Mm-hmm.